Support for the Most Accurate Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They are the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. Again, that is 20% off with free shipping when you use the code TMAP at checkout on manscaped.com. Say hello to your new favorite place to play fantasy football for real money, Underdog Fantasy. They offer season-long best ball contests that you can do from your phone or your computer. With best ball, all you need to do is the fun part, draft. Forget about injuries, trades, waivers, and setting lineups. Just set it, forget it, and wait for the winnings to come in. This year, they have a $1 million tournament. That's right. Just draft the best team, and you have a shot at $1 million in prizes. Sign up for Underdog today and enter the Best Ball Mania for a chance at $1 million in prizes by going to underdogfantasy.com or searching for Underdog Fantasy in your app store. Be sure to enter the code 4 for 4 that's the number 4, F-O-R, number 4 again, after you make your first deposit. Hello and welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gelhar. Today's intro song was I Was Wrong by the incomparable Chris Stapleton from his second album, From a Room, Volume 1. While we do a fair amount of prognosticating on this podcast, today's episode is particularly special. As you may have gathered from the title, today's episode is a touch different than what we normally bring to you on the Most Accurate Podcast. I will be joined by several of the top minds from 444, each of whom is planting their flag in one player for the 2020 season. These are the players our analysts refuse to miss out on in drafts, and players they believe will be the reason they, and hopefully you listeners, take home some fantasy titles this year. These are the guys they think have the upside to potentially even vault to the top of their positions in 2020. Hopefully come season's end, we all won't be singing along with Chris Stapleton saying I was wrong from drafting these players. Now, without further ado, I'm going to toss it to myself and our first esteemed guest. Joining the program now is the director of forecasting at 444.com. What a title. Who's here to hype up a rookie wide receiver from last season who came up huge. And I think he believes he has bigger things on the horizon for us now. So, John, please tell us, who are you planting your flag in in 2020? Well, I'm, I'm going for A.J. Brown, and I know he's a popular uh, player in the fantasy community, but I, I see his ADP in the fourth round, and I would be content, happy to get him in the third, and I'd be ecstatic to get him in the fourth, even as my uh, wide receiver one if I happen to go running back, running back, tight end in the first three rounds. I think people are looking at his final stat line, 52 catches, 1,051 yards, eight touchdowns, while impressive for a rookie, um, maybe – not worthy of a third or second round pick. And I would agree not in the second round, but in the third, I think he's worthy 84 targets. Eh, that doesn't seem like a lot of volume. So people complain about that. Uh, but if you look at what he did with Ryan Tannehill, uh, it was a big difference than what was going with Marcus Mariota for the first five uh, games. He averaged 2.4 catches for 50 yards and 0.4 touchdowns. That's pretty good production for a rookie. Uh, but once Tannehill took over as a starter in week seven, uh, Brown's numbers jumped to 3.8 catches, 78 yards, 0.6 touchdowns per game on 6.1 targets per game. That equates to about a 61 catch, 1,248-yard, 9.6 touchdown pace, and that's about what uh, DeAndre Hopkins scored as last year's number six fantasy receiver. 
there are some concerns about this postseason, uh, but he had some bad matchups there with the Patriots and the Chiefs. So I think heading into year two, uh, he's going to continue to progress and uh, be, become one of the top receivers in the game. Uh, certainly a lot of good uh, nuggets you, you mentioned there, including some of the concerns. But one thing I think that gets discussed sometimes with Brown as well and the Titans writ large is that they were incredibly efficient last year in a lot of different things. And that's something that might you know come back to earth a little bit is now that teams have had a full back half of the season and a couple of playoff games to look at this Ryan Tannehill-led offense. Are you concerned, since maybe the volume's not going to be there in a run-heavy offense, that if that efficiency dips, Brown's numbers might as a result as well, or are you not too concerned about that? I'm not. I mean, he played at a 98 uh, target pace with Tannehill, and I think that grows in his second season to where he's getting 115, 120 targets, and if he does so at his uh, current uh, efficiency, he's, he could be the wide receiver one. Uh, even a, a little bit of a dip in efficiency for him and for Tannehill uh, might not hurt them either if they get to, to the point where they're, you know, trailing in games a little bit more and the volume has to go up. So I think that a, a lack of efficiency, lack of touchdowns scored on those drives, I don't know, they had some crazy stat where they had uh, X number of touchdowns in a row. Their kicker wasn't getting any field goal attempts. Uh, but I think if, if that declines a little bit and the games are more competitive or they start to trail in games, uh, you're going to end up seeing more pass attempts and, and more targets for Brown. All right. So we uh, on the 4-4 rankings have A.J. Brown inside the top 10 in rankings. They, I think we're uh, might be one of the higher across the industry. But uh, looking at our you know kind of aggregate ADP rankings from some of the major sites, A.J. Brown is going more in the range of Calvin Ridley, Tyler Lockett, the Rams duo, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Odell Beckham. Uh, is he, for you, the clear-cut option to take amongst that whole tier, or do you think there's cases to be made for some of those other guys? I think he should be gone by the middle of the fourth round. I, I, I sometimes let him go, and I'm drafting late in the third round because there's a pretty good chance I'm going to get him in the fourth round, so I might grab a Allen Robinson, who I have ranked ahead of him. I might grab a DJ Moore, who I actually have ranked below him because I'm trying to get both. Uh, because more often than not, I end up with Brown in the you know the early fourth round, and I'm ecstatic to get him there. I I have him way ahead of those other guys in terms of just upside and and everything. He's the clear cut number one option in this offense, and I I can't say that about the Ridley or or Lockett. Very true. It's always good to get that number one guy, and especially in a team with Tennessee where there aren't a lot of you know as secured pass catchers behind him as like versus the Rams offense or Calvin Ridley being behind Julio Jones. So any last thoughts on uh, A.J. Brown and why people should be uh, drafting him as they, they head into drafts in the coming weeks? Well, I looked at uh, one, one stat I'll give you that I kind of dug into. I saw, I saw Sigmund Bloom talk about uh, uh, receivers that are rookies that uh, catch at least 50 balls and uh, gain at least 700 yards in the first round and how they're pretty much hits. And uh, I wanted to look and see what they did in year two. And we've got four receivers that qualified last year, A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, uh, D.K. Metcalf, and Debo Samuel. And on average, uh, since 2000, it looks like there was 34 uh, receivers that qualified and then played, I think, at least 10 games in year two. Uh, but they, on average, went up 17% in targets per game, 18% in receptions per game, 13% in yards per game, and 22% in touchdowns per game. That resulted in half PPR increase of 12% uh, per game and uh, PPR 13%. So I think from all these guys, you can expect, uh, you know, 10 to 12% growth in all their numbers. That is uh, some good information there. And it makes sense if somebody's talented enough and, you know, has a big enough role in the offense as a rookie to put up those numbers, it stands to reason that they would continue to grow and even see more work uh, in year two. 
All right, well, there you have it, everybody. Thank you for joining the program, John, and planting your flag in A.J. Brown. It's time to move on, though, and let's see who's planting their flag in a player next. All right, joining the show now is senior writer and editor Jennifer Akins of 444.com with a early-ish round running back that she's ready to plant her flag in. Jennifer, tell us who you are planting your flag in this year and are trying to not leave drafts without. That would be one Chris Carson. I don't know if I'd call him an early-ish running back. I mean, I guess compared to others, but I think he's I think he's a really good guy for those that want to kind of do a, a zero RB type-ish. You know, he's right now he's uh, RB twenty on uh, in MFL redrafts, and um, he's you know, he's a third, sometimes even fourth rounder. I love Chris Carson, and a lot of people don't, and I'm not really sure why. I think a lot of people, you know, at the start of the summer possibly were worried about his hip. I think for some weird reason, some people with the Carlos Hyde signing, you know, had him down a few pegs, which makes no sense because it is Carlos Hyde. But I like Chris Carson. I think that last season, despite fumbling in each of the first three games, they still gave him 20 plus carries in each of the next five. I mean, it is his backfield. And we all know that Schottenheimer is going to Schottenheimer and they're going to run the ball. And Chris Carson is still the lead back in this backfield. Um, They do have, of course, you know, the, the DJ Dallas you know, training camp buzz is a, is a smidge concerning just because they are hyping him up a bit. But I do feel that that could actually, you know, be beneficial because his ADP might drop this week due to all that buzz, and therefore we can still scoop Chris Carson a little bit later. Um, I think that you know it's one of those things where a lot of people, for some reason, even last year, people were down on him, and once again, you know, he ended up. I think he was RB last year, just 15 games. So I think he's a great guy to go after if you you know, miss out on that first couple of years. And then he's a, he's a good guy kind of in between that and then the, you know, the girly Bell Gordon tier. Yeah, I mean, you look at what he's done the last two years in Seattle, uh, 1,300 total scrimmage yards, nine total touchdowns in 2018, almost 1,500 scrimmage yards, nine total touchdowns in 2019. There is some security there. Now, you kind of dismissed the Carlos Hyde signing, but Hyde also went for over 1,000 yards last year in Houston. Are you worried at all? that a little bit more of a committee is going to appear between these guys, or do you feel pretty safe that this is Carson's backfield? I think it's Carson's backfield. I think they showed us that last year. I think Carlos Hyde was more of a reflection of <clears throat> Rashad Penny, you know, not coming further along in, in his rehab than, than they expected, and I think they just kind of signed him as someone that can come in as a change of pace. <clears throat> I still think it is Chris Carson's backfield. I think it was his backfield last year. I think it's his backfield this year. And so of that group, because uh, this is a tier runaway, because you mentioned it's kind of a nebulous area. I said early-ish round running back, but it's, we're after the first couple. I don't like to call the round three or four mid-rounds quite yet. But of some of those running backs in their area, you like Chris Carson over the James Conner, David Johnson, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon kind of tier of running backs there that you might be finding in, after you get out of the first couple rounds? Yeah, I do like James Conner, but somehow he's begun to to rise. His ADP has separated himself from Carson. He's almost around earlier at this point. He's going in you know, late second, early third at this point, and Conner is still kind of a late third, early fourth rounder. So of those two, I do like Conner better, but I feel that Conner's ADP has risen almost to a, a scary level. Uh, but as far as that, yeah, I do like Carson over the David Johnson, the Melvin Gordon. Um, as much as I love, I'm a DeAndre Swift fan, but I do still think that Carson is is above him, you know, tier wise. All right, well there you go, everybody. Why the the flag has been planted in Chris Carson? A great target, maybe after you start out with the wide receiver, wide receiver, or wide receiver in one of those elite tight ends. Jen, thank you for joining the uh, Most Accurate Podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Alex. 
Joining the program now is a contributor for 444, the one and only Chris Allen. You can find him on Twitter at Chris Allen, F-F-W-X. Allen is spelled A-L-L-E-N. He's a great writer for our site here and puts a lot of good info and content out on Twitter. And he's here to tell us why he's planting his flag in one of the early-ish round quarterbacks. So, Chris, make the case for Dak Prescott and why people should be targeting him on draft day. For sure. And I know that when it comes to drafting quarterbacks, we've been kind of beaten into this late round or at least approaching drafting quarterbacks from with a late round perspective. And now that's not necessarily saying we have to wait until the very last pick of our draft, but at least understanding the value or the opportunity cost associated with early round quarterbacks versus the ones that are going in the 10th, 11th, 12th round. But I think with Dak, I think it at least warrants some consideration. I'm not advocating for drafting uh, Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes in the second or third round. Uh, Dak Prescott, he goes in that fifth-ish round, so it's still, I think, up in the air in terms of opportunity cost. But I can at least make the case for considering him at this point. Last season, uh, he was uh, fifth in average depth of target amongst all quarterbacks while being 13th in adjusted completion percentage. And so now if you take those two quarterback quarterback metrics and you look at those compared to all of the quarterbacks uh, in the in the NFL, he was up with uh, Russell Wilson, Ryan Tannehill, Deshaun Watson. Uh, I mean, most of the guys that we would consider to be at least over the back half when Ryan Tannehill took over for Marcus Mariota, like in the upper echelon of quarterbacks in terms of completion percentage, in terms of being able to produce on field, so on and so forth. Now, if you're not excited about that, because a lot of folks are, I guess, still they're still looking at uh, Dak Prescott and trying to evaluate him from a quarterback standpoint. He's also known for having that hashtag Konami code. I mean, last season he was 10th in overall rushes. I believe he had either 52 or 56 rushes in total, but he was really, uh, he was really good in the red zone. He was giving us those money touches that we really need in order to actually boost that uh, quarterback production from a rushing standpoint. Uh, he was third with uh, third in red zone attempts uh, within the 10 for all quarterbacks so I think that looking at Dak from both a passing standpoint and a rushing standpoint he can give you the requisite production week in and week out to at least again warrant consideration like in that fifth round or so so you mentioned a lot of the good qualities with Dak but if we look back at his year last year with Kellen Moore at the helm was terrific uh career high in completions career high in attempts career high in yards career high in passing touchdowns but do we wor- do you worry at all that this year was a little bit more of an aberration? I mean, he's got Mike McCarthy in there. There's still consistency on offense. They added more uh, talent to the offense as well with CeeDee Lamb coming in and Blake Jarwin taking over for Jason Witten. But do you have any concerns that this was more of kind of a one-year blip and not the new normal for Prescott? I would if it wasn't also in terms of how they were, their pace of play as well. So all of those, uh, like, so pace of play was up. Uh, their passing and neutral game scripts was up. I mean, so most of those things were lending them towards the idea that this is now a team that still wants to use Ezekiel Elliott like as their as like as their primary piece as their centerpiece like to their offense. But at the same time, they also want to remain as one of those front runners in terms of offensive pace and how they want to utilize their uh, their players on the field. I mean, they brought back. I mean, Amari Cooper was already going to be a part of that. Michael Gallup is now an ascending talent uh, but on top of that i mean teams can't lie in the draft and how they use their draft equity to build their team i mean i'm not saying they would have gone out and gotten like a jk dobbins or deandre swift and invested in the running back position again i mean but i mean 
going out and drafting CeeDee Lamb, that says something about how they see their team moving forward. I mean, they jettisoned Randall Cobb, uh, they jettisoned uh, uh, Jason Witten, and now they have nothing but like young, athletic playmakers that are now a part of their offense. And so if I'm looking at them from a team-building perspective, I mean, I, it, to me, it looks like they're positioning themselves in order to be not just a not just a front-runner from a physical standpoint, still having Ezekiel Elliott now on his second contract, but now they also want to be an aerial threat as well. And so uh, while there is some concern there with uh, with Dak Prescott, I guess, outperforming his uh, like his previous season stats, I do think that now with their uh, red zone pass rate also increasing, that offensive philosophy is now shifting itself more towards them leaning on Dak as a passer. And that seems, again, with their draft capital, they have the confidence in him to perform. All right. And so let's talk about his ADP then. You mentioned he's generally going around the fifth round. Uh, underdog fantasy, he's the third quarterback off the board in uh, like a mid-fifth and uh, 12-team leagues uh, ADP on our 4 for 4 aggregate rankings. The highest uh, ADP he has is 27th overall on CBS, but otherwise it's falling in that also 5th to 6th round range there. Uh, do you think Dak is the clear-cut leader above the guys in that tier with him, like Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, and Kyler Murray? And is there a case to maybe even reach a touch earlier to draft him? I don't know about reaching a touch earlier to draft them, but if I do happen to see him there, uh, I, I again, he's worth considering. And this is where it comes down to really roster construction and how you've built your team in the picks preceding him. And that's where, again, I would really consider like where you're at in your draft uh, roster wise. Because if I let's say again, if I'm in the back of the fifth uh, and like he happens to be sitting there and so far I've built up at least a couple of running backs, a couple of wide receivers or something along those lines, I would consider it. Uh, but again, if you happen to be towards the back end of your back end of your first round, you wind up having to pick up some of those guys with a little bit of uncertainty around them. So like the Kenyon Drakes, the Aaron Joneses, uh, those types of guys are already on your squad. I can understand opting for some more security with maybe uh, a Mark Ingram, a J.K. Dobbins that goes in that same area. So it does make some sense, at least to to look uh, look at some other positions. But compared to the quarterbacks that are going around him at Kyler Murray, again, I'm not. 100% sold on him being able to repeat what he did last season. Their uh, their offensive passing rate, it did seem to fall, especially once they got Kenyon Drake going within that offense. Deshaun Watson, I'm still, I still think that he'll be able to uh, do much of what he's done in seasons past, but Without the without DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, we're still trying to integrate both uh, Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb like into that offense. I still have some concerns about how I'll perform on a weekly basis. So I would firmly plant like Dak Prescott as my QB three, and if he's there again, depending on roster construction, I'd pull the trigger. All right, well there you have it: the case for Dak Prescott as the QB three off the board, and the case why he could maybe even uh, supplant Lamar Jackson or Patrick Holmes as the overall QB one. Chris, thanks again for joining the Most Accurate Podcast, and now it's time to move on and see who the next four four analyst is planting their flag in. Hey everybody, got to take a quick break from the podcast to tell you about Manscaped. It is the number one place for men's below-the-belt grooming. If you've been listening to any of our 444 podcasts, you know we've been big fans of their products. I personally am a fan of so many of their products. I've been adding them into my daily routine. They make life so much better and so much more comfortable. It's amazing what a little bit of care below the belt can do for you on the day-to-day. For instance, they also offer Manscaped underwear, and it is some of the most breathable, comfortable uh, pair of underwear I've ever worn. Uh, it's a total game changer during the day, especially, you know, if you're in an area where it's still hot and humid and the, the end of the summer, early fall months, check out their products. Uh, in addition to the Lawnmower 3.0, 
the best uh, below-the-belt trimmer out there. They've got ball deodorant. I'm a big fan of their shampoo and everything as well, and including their little tote bag to carry all this around from you. I recently went to visit some family, packed up all my products in there, and it was easy sailing for the rest of the way. And the best part about it is that you can get 20% off and free shipping by using the code TMAP uh, at checkout on manscaped.com. That, again, is TMAP for 20% off and free shipping. Hey, everybody. Wanted to take a quick break from this episode to take a few seconds to tell you about Underdog Fantasy. Never worry about forgetting to set your lineups again. On Underdog, all you do is draft, and then your best players get automatically selected every week. All the information you need to win, easily accessible within the app. Forget about pros with advanced algorithms, flooding contests you'll never win like on other sites. Underdog is not about that. It's much simpler and easier for you, maybe an average fantasy player, maybe a more hardcore, to win as well. Custom rankings allow you to tweak the player list to your liking so that you never miss out on your favorite players. There's a world-class customer service team via email or Twitter to help you with any issues that may arise. It's an industry-leading mobile app and website with constant updates to improve the experience. If you follow any of us analysts on Twitter, you know that Underdog right now is all the rage. I've just been getting into it, really enjoying the experience personally. It's simple, free, and has unlimited withdrawals for you and your team. So if you're looking for another way to play fantasy this year in this strange, strange 2020 uh, check out Underdog Fantasy. It's, it's one of the best apps out there, and we at 444 highly endorse this product and thank them for sponsoring this episode. Next up is 444's director of DFS. You can also find him as the co-host of the great DFS MVP podcast. It is the one, the only, TJ Hernandez, and he's here to hype up a young quarterback who he thinks could be the overall QB1 this season. TJ, which quarterback are you planting your flag in for 2020? Yeah, so I th- there are... I count seven quarterbacks that have uh, the overall QB one in their range, uh, and I want the cheapest one. And uh, right now, that's that's Josh Allen. Uh, a lot of people have a a consensus top six. Um, I I think that tier should include Allen. And one thing that is just really unique about this year is we have a, a lot of multi-dimensional passers. Uh, in the past, we've we've seen obviously the the running quarterback is a quarterback that you want for fantasy. Um, this year, we have seven that not are only very good rushers, but are in offenses uh, that have very high end potential. Um, kind of that that ceiling potential that I'm looking at are. 30 passing touchdowns and five rushing touchdowns. Uh, and I think that's easily uh, in Josh Allen's range because uh, we've already seen him do the rushing part multiple times. We've already seen him be um, the QB one over stretches, uh, the QB six over his first full entire year last year. Uh, and depending on, on what site you're drafting him on, um, sometimes you could get him in the double digit rounds. I know he's going as, as the QB seven in uh, most uh, ADP or, or consensus ADP. Last night I got him as uh, in the 11th round of an FFPC draft. So uh, that's the. I mean the main reason is price, um, but a ton of upside this year uh, in this improved offense. 
Yeah, you mentioned the offense has improved. What do you think the addition of Stefan Diggs does to Josh Allen's outlook? As he already had a, a good deep threat and pseudo number one wide receiver in John Brown, how does Stefan Diggs coming to town help Josh Allen's outlook from a fantasy perspective? Sure. So one thing that I really like about the Bills offense and about their play caller, Brian DeBall, is he's really similar to uh, to Greg Roman in Baltimore. And we've seen Greg Roman do this for, for years, uh, whether it be with uh, Kaepernick or now Lamar Jackson. And now we're seeing DeBall do it with Josh Allen is that uh, these offenses, not only do their quarterbacks run a lot, but their teams run a lot. But when they do throw, uh, they throw the ball deep very often. And we've seen that with Josh Allen. And we saw him connect very good with uh, John Brown last year. The, the One of the issues was outside of Allen's accuracy is that the Bills just didn't have a, a deep threat outside of John Brown. John Brown raked six in the league in target share on uh, passes uh, 15 or more yards downfield. Now, I know a lot of people look at Diggs, and they they say he was relatively low-volume guy in, in Minnesota, um, and his skills might not translate to a new team on a short and offseason uh, this year. And that might be true for Diggs' fantasy outlook. Uh, he could be very up and down. But from a true or a real football standpoint – uh, our our friend Matt Harmon does great work on reception perception every year, and he argues that with John Brown and Stephon Diggs, uh, two of the best route runners, arguably one of the best wide receiver duels in the league. So with Diggs' ability to get down the field as well, um, I think it only heightens the ceiling for Josh Allen, gives him another weapon uh, to push that ball downfield with. So you mentioned uh, the passing upside here, but one one concern maybe is that if there's a dip in the rushing touchdowns, so Josh Allen has sure. been a great goal line weapon, but now that he is the kind of the face of their franchise and they're going all in on him, maybe they dip a little bit less there. They drafted Zach Moss, they've mm -hmm. got Devin Singletary. So are you concerned at all that the rushing touchdown dip? Because his yardage has been pretty consistent over the last two years. 631 as a rookie, 510 uh, as a sophomore. If those rushing, rushing touchdowns dip, is that going to be a bit of a capper on his fantasy upside? Yeah, for sure. Um, and like I said, we're we're betting on on the the upside when you're getting a quarterback this late. If you can't get him in the tenth round, um, we we know even just with his rushing yardage total, he's he's going to provide us pretty consistent uh, top ten value. You can't confidently project rushing touchdowns it's it's just a high variance um number um i mean probably the most consistent uh player we've seen has been cam newton he has seasons where he has 10 he has seasons where he has four um but he's going to to get you that yardage like you mentioned and the great thing about yardage is if you have a quarterback like a josh allen or a cam newton that's gonna even if they only get you 40 yards of, of production on the ground without a touchdown in terms of fantasy production, that's a whole passing touchdown worth of scoring. Um, those are that's a lot of points. Uh, that and that's why we target these players. So even even if it goes down to to say four or five, again we're betting on on the high end of not just his legs or his arm, but of this offense as a whole. Uh, so I, I'm I'm pretty confident if he is a player that can reach. 31 32 touchdowns through the air uh, i think that more than offsets um, maybe a dip in, in rushing production yeah I, I see that too and you look at his the passing volume of this offense last year he only threw the ball 461 times defenses are also not very sticky uh year to year and how they perform and shut down people well that buffalo defense is good this offense could progress with the additions they made and just through more passing volume as well so that could counterbalance that and uh, and give him some nice upside. But any final words on uh, when to target Josh Allen and, and why else he would be the QB1 uh, in your eyes this year? 
Yeah, one thing I, I would just add on to everything is that I think the Bills just have a chance to be a really good team. Uh, one thing that you have to consider is that with this shortened offseason, they have continuity. Uh, they're, they're returning a lot of their players, very consistent coaching staff, um, just consistent core all around. And with Tom Brady no longer in their division, that division's wide open. And outside of the Chiefs and the Ravens, I think the, the three spot for the AFC is wide open. Uh, and a lot of times these top end fantasy quarterbacks, they come from very good winning teams. Uh, so that's, that's just, I, I like the Bills as a whole this year. Um, again, th- I, I love Josh Allen. I'm I'm not reaching for a quarterback uh, in in any type of one quarterback league. And in general, after those top six guys, you can wait a couple rounds, eighth, ninth round. You're you're not giving up a ton of opportunity costs at the running back, wide receiver position uh, once you hit like that eighth or ninth round. Yeah, I uh, I'm hoping you are right on Josh Allen. I actually I had him in Scott Fishbowl, and I just took him this past weekend in my uh, home league, which is a superflex league. Was watching some of those other quarterbacks fall a little bit, but I was like, you know what? I bet I can wait and get my man Josh Allen here. So fingers crossed he hits. Uh, TJ, thank you for joining the program, and we'll move on to the next four four analysts and see who they are planting their flag in as well. All right, joining the show now to give us their flag planting player for 2020 is. Yours truly. That's right, I wasn't going to host the show and not give you one of the players I'm planting my flag in for 2020. So let me tell you why DJ Chark is one of the wide receivers you need to have on your fantasy teams coming out of drafts before week one starts. So Chark had a decent breakout season last year. He's one of the best fantasy surprises, leading the Jaguars in targets with 118 receiving yards with just over 1,000 and 8 receiving touchdowns. Now, he trailed only one other player in receptions, and that was Leonard Fournette, surprisingly. He trailed him 73-76, to but Leonard Fournette, as you may have heard, is no longer in the picture. This is a big news for Chark for a couple of reasons as well. Overall, Chark finished as the wide receiver 16 and half PPR scoring, lifting many fantasy managers, including myself, into the playoffs as a late round or free agent steal. So, looking ahead to 2020, why is Chark one of the wide receivers you want to target in drafts? Well, his ADP comes in those middle rounds usually in the five, six, maybe even seven round, depending on your league format. And he has massive upside on what could be a rather bad and pass-heavy Jaguars team. So they just got rid of Leonard Fournette, likely leaving Chris Thompson and Reichwell Armstead to take over the backfield, as well as Devine Ozigbo. Apologies if I mispronounced that name. But the bigger factor for Chark is the defense. The team recently traded Yannick Ngakwe to the Vikings, one of their premier pass rushers, They previously traded Calais Campbell to the Ravens, one of their best interior D linemen. They lost players in free agency, and last year they traded away Jalen Ramsey, one of the better cornerbacks in the league. This Jaguars defense is going to be a sieve, allowing offenses to move up and down the field against them, which is going to put the ball frequently in the right arm of Gardner Minshew. And last season, DJ Chark was one of his favorite targets. Uh, Benefiting Chark as well is Jay Gruden's arrival as offensive coordinator. Uh, Gruden's Offenses in the past kind of fit the mold of having a number one wide receiver similar to Chark in size and stature. Thinking back to his early years in Cincinnati with A.J. Green, Chark is a 6'4 player with 4.3 speed. Uh, He's a downfield threat. He's great after the catch. And as I mentioned, he's going to get a ton of targets in this offense. Uh, Minshew also loved... Minshew also loved targeting Chark in the red zone, throwing uh, to him 13 times inside the 20 more than any other Jags player while Minshew was under center. They only connected on three of those targets, but it's a good sign that Minshew loves to throw to his big wide receiver when they get near scoring opportunities. 
Uh, Chark also led the team with over 33% of their air yards per next-gen stats. Uh, so that is a number that could even push higher towards the, the 40% echelon with some of the truly elite receivers in fantasy if this team does get behind as often as they do and Minshew continues to favor Chark. So when you look at other wide receivers in that range, there's certainly a lot of guys with upside, but Chark is one that's really intriguing because his attachment to the Jaguar sometimes forces him down behind guys like Terry McLaurin, maybe everybody's favorite fantasy sleeper, or Keenan Allen and T.Y. Hilton. I think there's a clear case that why, why Chark is the one you want to grab out of there, just because the volume is going to be there, the natural physical gifts are there, and uh, and he has the ability. He proved it last year. So with more volume, more consistency under center, with uh, Minshew being there the whole year, I think Chark is, is a true breakout this year and could threaten for wide receiver one. Not the wide receiver one overall, but, uh, you know, top 12 wide receiver finish come season's end. And that's going to do it for our 4 for 4 flag planting episode. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. Please do remember to like this podcast, rate it and review it on iTunes or wherever else you subscribe to your podcast. Download it, share it with your friends. All of that means a lot to us and helps us spread the word. You can uh, leave me comments uh, on my Twitter at Alex Gelhar, G-E-L-H-A-R. I will try to respond to as many of them as possible. DMs are open as well. Uh, Good luck in your drafts, and we'll see you next time.